You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now. So get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. Hey everybody and welcome back to another exciting episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number nine. Dalek's Master Plan Story Review, Part 1. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my companion on this adventure through podcasting time and space, we have Paul Gann. Hello, what's up? Oh, uh, you know, just watching uh, (laughs) a missing Doctor Who story arc is all. Because that's easy to do, right? (laughs) Yeah, totally. Wow. Yeah, this has been an interesting experiment, but we'll get into that um, as we go. Folks, we are back on our Dalek episode reviews. This is the final storyline with the first Doctor encountering the Daleks. It is, however, 12 episodes and a prequel episode, so 13 total episodes. So we're splitting it in two, as the title says. Uh, we're, we'll be doing the, the sort of teaser prequel episode, plus the first six episodes of the story arc itself. Uh, and next episode, we will finish it off. And the, the cool thing about this, uh, at least for me, was that we actually got to view this in its restored format, uh, even though the, the standard episodes are not available. Uh, so uh, it was a new experience to, to be able to do that. Yes, there's uh, recreations, mainly, you know, yes. the, the audio is out there, and so people have put photos to the audio, some people have animated these episodes, you know, all, I'm pretty sure it's all unofficial, uh, for the most part. Although uh, there may have been, there may have been, like, official VHS recreations. There, there are some uh, animations that were uh, licensed by the BBC, but I'm not sure which episodes those are. It's not these. No. No. Because there are too many of these episodes that are missing to actually put together any sort of DVD for sale for the BBC. They don't want to animate, you know, three quarters of the story arc. There's a couple of these that were complete, but not not most of them. So... (laughs) It's still entertaining, though. It was entertaining. Um, <laughs> before we jump into the story and the review, uh, we do want to give you a quick update on who is 
not on the TARDIS and who has joined the TARDIS, Vicky has left. Vicky has left the TARDIS. The previous story arc to this is another missing uh, story arc called The Myth Makers, where the Doctor, Vicky, and Steven go back and uh, find themselves mixed up with the Greeks and the Trojans at the Battle of Troy. And uh, Vicky falls in love with one of the Trojan soldiers, and she decides to leave and escape with him as the Greeks topple Troy. Meanwhile, the Doctor has befriended, I believe she's like the handmaiden of Cassandra, the uh, soothsayer. And this is all stuff that I'm excited about because I like these sort of myths and stuff. And her name is Katarina. And she ends up joining the Doctor on the TARDIS because Katarina believes that the Doctor is Zeus or one of the other gods. Because of the things he's able to do and the things he's able to predict and that sort of thing. She Um, calls the TARDIS his temple. Yes, the TARDIS is his temple. And as they're traveling through time and space in in this story arc, uh, and we'll we'll probably mention this, um, she thinks that they are on their way through the underworld to achieve perfection. So, because she doesn't really understand what's going on. But, at the end of the Myth Makers, during the hubbub and confusion of the Greeks sacking Troy, uh, Stephen gets injured and he's uh, gotten a bit sick from the injury. He's got, he's feverish and he's not very coherent. And so, uh, We'll see at the beginning of this episode uh, that he's still suffering from that as we jump into this. But before we reunite with the Doctor, Katarina, and Stephen, let's go ahead and take a look at this sort of preview episode. And this episode was actually, in when the seasons was, were released, it was actually released before the Myth Makers. Uh, so it was sort of like a tease for what was yet to come. And this episode is entitled Mission to the Unknown and was released on the 9th of October, 1965. Do you know if that was intentionally released out of order or do you know if it was just released out of order because it just happened to be ready? I am not <clears throat> sure. Um, I'm sure it's, there's a place to figure that out. But because I know that it was released out of order. Yes, I didn't um, look that up. Um, it was originally written to be part of this storyline. Yes, yes. But since it was, it's sort of a standalone episode because the Doctor and the TARDIS do not appear in it at all. Right. And so it makes you know. It's very easily can be used as sort of like a preview, sort of a tease for later this year, you know. You know, there, there's this secret thing going on that the Doctor doesn't know about, and he's going to wind up in the middle of it. So, And so you're just tense, <laughs> waiting for that to happen, and they go, but not yet. And they slip the Myth Makers in there. <laughs> <laughs> but let's, let's jump into this episode real quick. Spoilers. Uh, There's a trio of men uh, that have sort of crash-landed on the planet Kemble. It opens with one of them sort of waking up 
in the middle of the jungle saying kill, kill, kill. Yeah. So that's kind of fun. <clears throat> um, <laughs> and the other two guys are trying to fix the ship so they can get off the planet. He shows up and tries to kill, obviously, because he's saying kill, kill, kill. Uh, but gets himself shot in the process. Uh, one of the men that is still alive is, uh, his name is Corey, and he is actually on a secret mission. And we don't know what that is quite yet. He's a, uh, he's a, um, a galactic security officer, right? Basically the interstellar uh, CIA or something like that, or FBI or something. Yes, galactic security. And there's been rumors of Dalek activity in this sector of the galaxy, which they shouldn't be here. And so he's out trying to figure out what's going on. There are these weird plants called the Vraga? Is that what they are? Varga. Varga. Varga plants. They're they're considered plant, but they're actually some type of plant, animal, hybrid, uh, synthetic being that's created... Uh, in a laboratory. Yes. Native only to Scaro, but they are on Kemble. And the problem with these Vraga plants is that if you get stabbed by one of their thorns, because they basically look kind of like cotton candy cactuses, um, which is yeah. what I'm describing them with. A bit creepy. Believe it or not, they look better in the animated version than they do in the real-life version. Yeah, that's not too hard to believe. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> in the animated version, they look pretty cool. Yeah, they, they look a little creepy. Um, yeah. But, but in the live action, it's basically somebody threw like a cotton candy suit over the top of an actor, and he sort of shuffles. Because they, they move along. Their roots sort of walk them along a little bit. Just a little little weird but the Daleks are the ones that have engineered these Varga plants and um, unfortunately the the man who was saying kill 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 got stabbed by one of them and that's why he was killing wanting to kill and even after he's dead he's starting to turn into a Varga plant yeah because that's attractive (laughs) Yeah, the next time you see him, he looks like a Varga plant sticking out of a pair of pants. <laughs> uh, did you catch that? Yes, yes, yeah. I did. Uh, it, <laughs> because the way the shot is lined up, even in the, uh, you know, not only in the animated version of this, but even in the, the live action version of it, the way the shot is set up is you see his feet laying there on the ground, and then they sort of twitch a little bit and then they stand up and the camera zooms out and pans up and he's human from the waist down but from the waist up he's just this Varga plant mm-hmm. it's a little disturbing Yeah, his arms kinda, are not even there anymore yeah but kind of silly in the live action because like I said he looks like a now he looks like a cotton candy you know, thing Cac- that you'd buy you know, that you'd buy at like 
a baseball game or something like Cut that. Cotton candy, cactus wearing pants. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but but it quickly spreads to his legs and he doesn't get have them anymore after that. What's going on on this planet, the planet Kimball, is that, yes, the Daleks are there, but there are also representatives from seven planets in that region of the galaxy. And the Daleks are forming an alliance in order to attack our solar system. First of all, weird that the Daleks are initiating an alliance, although we'll see that there's more to that later. Um, But... Whatever works, right? Whatever works. These these (laughs) seven planets are all looking for more power and to expand and, you know, they want to take over our solar system, starting with Earth. Dun, dun, dun. And of course, Corey has sort of figured out what's going on and he needs to inform Earth, but they don't have communications with the ship. And so he and the other man, uh, while dodging Daleks and Varga plants, are trying to set up and get a basically an emergency rocket ready to take off so they can load a warning message into it and shoot it up into space. Right. Of course, running through the jungle, the other man does scratch his hand on a Vargathorn. So, you know, yeah. his his days are numbered. Um, poor, poor soul. Poor soul. <laughs> There's not a lot else that goes on, except, obviously, the Lowry is the other man. Uh, he turns into a Varga plant. Uh, Corey is unable to complete the record. He finishes the recording, but he's unable to get it loaded onto the rocket and get the rocket into space before the Daleks find him and he's killed. And the Daleks are victorious, you know. It, it looks like a firing squad almost because he's surrounded on like at least three sides and they just annihilate this poor guy. Yeah. Yeah. But but that's kind of kind of the episode. It just sort of yeah. like it's this forming of the alliance and the yeah. failure of these Earthmen to get the warning out. Very dark ending. Yeah. And the Doctor is nowhere to be seen. What'd you just since this is such an oddball episode, it's probably the first and last episode that I'm remembering that the Doctor has not been in. Uh, I think I you're probably right. Um, so I know there's some episodes later on, especially in the new series, where the Doctor is not featured very much. Right. But he's in there. So, what do you what do you think about this one? Uh, I liked it. Uh, I, I I'm uh, one of those kind of people that likes some of the darker themes and stuff anyway. Uh, I'm just weird that way. Um, (laughs) But uh, I do think that watching it with the rest of these was better, in my opinion, than it would have been just watching it by itself. Um, And the reason I say that is because if I watched it by itself and then went into something completely in the other direction, it would have messed with my head, you know, to the point of 
that's not how you end a story. What what is wrong with these people? You know, because it's one thing if you're talking about something like uh, I don't know, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where you end it on a dark note for you know horror reasons or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a different thing entirely when you just leave people hanging and may or may not ever go back to approach this subject ever again, you know? Uh, and, and that to me is what, what made the difference for me personally as really enjoying this episode is the fact that I was able to see 100% how it tied into the very next episode that we watched behind it. Gotcha. Um, because that to me brought that story to a whole nother level. Yeah. No, it was it was really really unique. I was impressed that these actors that we only see in this episode, never see them again, these characters were able to hold my attention as well as they did. Mm-hmm. The Varga plants are a little odd, but they serve their purpose, and yeah, I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. Um, I won't say great. Honestly, but... I watched the animated version. I know you watched both. You mm-hmm. you watched the animated and the photo uh, photograph version. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that one of the reasons I might have enjoyed it as much as I did is because I watched the animated version because it was creepier and it it did have a darker tone. Uh, in the way that they animated it. Yeah. yeah. Part of it was I wanted to see the actual actors rather than somebody's reinterpretation of the characters. It was really interesting. I do think it makes a good lead-in to the Daleks' master plan. But uh, I'm, I'm glad that it's the last you know full episode that we get that the Doctor is not in. Well, uh-huh. I, I almost saw it like you would see it as a lead-in to an episode of like the New Who series, only on a, a more lengthy scale. Right, right. Um, right. You know, one of the little Tardisodes in the preview. Right. Before the episodes. before the credits and everything come up, you know, that's the feel that it had for me. Um, mm. it, it almost felt like for me that they could have left the credits and everything off of the beginning of this showed you this in its entirety and then came up with the credits and everything and led directly into like a full length motion picture or something. Huh. You know, that's how it felt to me. Okay. Okay. I can see that. I can see that. I think it serves its purpose and I think it did it pretty well. Um, just of course, without your main characters from the show, uh, I think it suffers a little bit in that regard, but not not too terribly much. Not too terribly much. And especially going from that right into the Daleks' master plan, I mm-hmm. think also helps. Um, so why don't we get into the Daleks' master plan? Works for me. See how I, see how I made that, that segue? <laughs> of course, you're not supposed to point out your segues. No. Um, but I did. So. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the, the Doctor has, uh, of course, escaped Troy with a wounded Stephen and uh, Katarina. 
And he's the first place they land for the doctor to try and find medicine to help uh, Stephen get better is, of course, Kemble. Stephen's been poisoned, right? I I think that's the idea. Yeah. Uh, It could also just be, you know, a a severe wounding, like a a sword wound, and he's feverish because of it. Well, the doctor Um, referred to him as being poisoned. Yeah. Blood poisoning is what it says here on the, the... uh, the TARDIS wiki. But, uh, so he tells Katarina to stay in the TARDIS and keep an eye on Steven, and he's going to go look and see if he can find help. Meanwhile, two space agents, uh, Brett and Kurt, are their names, are on Kemble looking for fellow agent Corey. Uh, who, they course, basically find themselves in the exact same situation that Corey was in. Exactly. Uh, they they are running from the Daleks, trying to avoid the Varga plants. And interestingly enough, Brett is played by pre-Brigadier Alistair gordon Lethbridge stewart uh, actor... Nicholas Courtney. So, uh, another military man. Minus the mustache. Yes, minus the mustache. Uh, <laughs> he is clean-shaven for this episode, although he very much, of course, still looks like the Brigadier. Seeing as how it won't be too much longer before he shows up as Alistair Gordon Lethbridge. Well, I, I had to take a double-take at first, because without the mustache and without the uniform and everything... At first, I almost didn't realize it was the same actor. But oh, then really? once once I watched his mannerisms and things like that, it was very clear to me that it was the same actor. Yes. So, Oh, I should probably uh, let everybody know that the Daleks Master Plan aired uh, the, from the 13th of November through the 29th of January, 1965-1966. Over there in the UK when it was first being produced. And this is season three of Doctor Who. So, uh, But they're trying to find their way out. Kurt is wounded and ends up uh, playing the, the martyr to help Brett escape and find a way off the planet. Meanwhile... Mavic Chen, guardian of the solar system. And of course, the solar system refers to ours. Because uh, there can't be any other solar system in the galaxies. Um, <laughs> but if, if you hear us refer to the solar system or guardian of the solar system, that's, that's ours with you know Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and not Pluto, because Pluto's not a planet anymore. I think that's a jit. I think so, too. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But Mavic Chen, guardian of of the solar system, is celebrating 25 years since the last war between, you know, in their corner of the galaxy and, you know, wants to celebrate this peace. And so he's going to go on holiday. And that's the plan. Um, All right. I'm going to point this out. What are you going to point out? I think you might agree. Did he remind you at all of Ming the Merciless from Flash Gordon? 
I have not seen Flash Gordon. You've not seen Flash Gordon? Are you kidding me? Nope. Really? Dude. <laughs> Max Max Foncito plays plays Mer- Ming the Merciless. Man, you've got to see this. It's as hokey as it can get. But you've got to see Flash Gordon. <laughs> uh, one of these days I will. One of these days. Oh, dude. I will do that. <laughs> to me personally, he looked almost like, you know, the clone of Ming the Merciless. The difference <laughs> being that Ming has a black beard and uh, hair where this guy has white. Where Mavic Chen has white, yes. yes. And his, his eyelashes are very white as well, which almost gives the impression of a double set of eyebrows. Uh, he has double eyebrows, actually. He has double eyebrows? You can't tell it from far away, but you can tell it on the very, very, very close-up scenes um, that they put uh, makeup or something over his real eyebrows and then mm-hmm. put the fake eyebrows above them. Yes. But from a distance, you can't tell it, but from up close, you can. Um, well, it, it looks kind of like a shadow or something, but there, it's it's his eyebrows. Yes, well, the, uh, the character the character only has one set of eyebrows, but he's got very <laughs> white eyelashes as well. Uh, the actor may have actual eyebrows that peek through the makeup from time to time. <laughs> but That made me giggle, actually, because I, I was thinking to myself, you know, if they were doing this today, you'd never see this guy's eyebrows at all. Right. <laughs> right. Meanwhile... Kurt, uh, Kurt Vion, I think is his, how do you pronounce his Latin last name, has found the TARDIS, and he is trying to commandeer it, shall we say, in order to get off the planet. He has taken the key from the Doctor and has tricked Katarina into letting him in, and he is trying to figure out how to take off. And of course... Katarina doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know how... Basically, all she knows how to do is open and close the door of the TARDIS. Yeah. So, he's stuck in the TARDIS and has left the key in the lock. (laughs) Which the doctor thought was funny. Oh, yes. The doctor's (laughs) like... (laughs) Um, You left the key in the door, didn't you? (laughs) Oh, yes. And, of course, he storms into the TARDIS and, you know, starts berating uh, Kurt. And in the midst of all this hubbub, they wake Stephen up and Stephen is able to knock Kurt out uh, so the doctor can put him in his restraining chair that uses gravity to keep him completely still and in place and uh, then goes back out to search for help. Uh, dude. Huh? Yeah, you're saying Kurt. Uh, Kurt died. Oh, oops. I mean Brett. Yeah. Brett's the one who's in the TARDIS. Yeah. Took the key, got the key taken back, got knocked out and put in the gravity restraining chair. Yeah. Brett. Okay. The Brigadier. Brett Brigadier. Ha, yes. The okay. not the not Brigadier. Yes, the not Brigadier. Um, and it's a good thing he's not the Brigadier, as we will see later. Um... <laughs> but anyway, so could be a in... could could be a relative of the, the brigadier. Oh, that's true, a distant relative. 
Because this is like the year 4,000-something, so. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Brett convinces Katarina, uh, you know, realizes that he's not in any danger with the TARDIS, and convinces Katarina to let him help. And he's got medicine for Stephen. And Stephen starts getting better after she gives him the medicine. The doctor has discovered this city in the middle of the jungle and there's a landing pad out there and there's a starship that is landing on the landing pad and he's like, hmm, I wonder what's going on. And he <laughs> goes down to see what's going on. Meanwhile... Nosy starsh- doctor as usual. Oh, of course. <laughs> hmm. I wonder. <laughs> that's that's one of his, his, his lines. That's what got them in trouble on Scarrow in the first place, remember? Hmm. <laughs> He never learns, does he? <laughs> but of course, this starship that has just landed is carrying Mavic Chen. Dun, dun, dun. The guardian of the solar system. Not Ming the Merciless. Not Ming the Merciless. Mavic Chen. <laughs> and of course, the guardian of the solar system is in league with the Daleks. Yeah. And that will spell doom for the solar system. It turns out that he's just as power-hungry as the Daleks. Oh, yes. And very ambitious, which the Daleks do recognize. They recognize that his ambition could be dangerous, but he is useful to them at this point. So, Yeah, one of the Daleks even makes a point of saying that he needs to be watched because his ambition uh, is not... How would you put it? His ambition is... uh, is uh, more of a problem than his usefulness. Indeed. Indeed. But they they decide to let him play along for now because he has something that they need. But before we get to this big meeting and gathering of all of the the representatives from the allies, Mavic Chen has a discussion with one of the other representatives named Zephon. Uh, who is from the fifth galaxy, ruler of the fifth galaxy, whatever or wherever that is? Uh, this and is uh, the one who is in charge of the largest contribution, correct? I believe that is the case. He's in this very large black robe that obscures his face and you know goes all the way down to his feet and that sort of thing. Uh, you may guess where this is heading. But Mavic Chen and Zephon sort of talk possible angles to power, both in favor and against each other. It's, you know, mm, yeah. playing political games. Uh, Mind chess. Yes. But of course, the Daleks know that these are happening and they're watching them. And uh, the Daleks have a limited use for all of these people. Uh Ironically enough, they look at all of them as chess pieces. Very ironic. Very ironic. Katarina, Stephen, and Brett have left the TARDIS to find the Doctor because Brett knows that the Daleks are on the planet and the Doctor doesn't. So they've left the TARDIS. They've gone to find the Doctor. Stephen is still a bit groggy, a little bit out of it. 
Uh, Woozy. He's, he, he is recovering. Meanwhile, the Daleks, for some reason, are burning down the jungle. Do you remember why they're burning down the jungle? Because I don't. Um, uh, it was Project Inferno or something like that. Yeah. And I don't remember why. If I'm not mistaken, they were trying to... Uh, uh, guarantee that there weren't going to be any more intruders uh, oh. the way that there were the way that there were the first time because uh, they wanted to see uh, any threats that might be approaching that's true that makes sense so the Daleks are starting to burn the jungle around the landing pad and the city the doctor and the rest of the, of them decide to head right into the city because it's their only chance and it's the last place the Daleks will think to look the meeting in the city is about to begin. Chen leaves, but Zephon wants to watch the jungle burn. And so he is going to make the other representatives wait. And he goes outside onto the landing platform to get a better look at the jungle burning because this fascinates him or something. And the doctor and Brett and Steven uh, knock him out and tie him up with vines. Yeah, I got the impression he wanted to watch this because he enjoys carnage. Yes, he's, he's not a very friendly person or being. He he comes off at the very beginning that you, when you see him, he comes off as some kind of black evil monk almost mm-hmm. uh, in the way that the way that he's dressed and everything. Uh, He's very, very Grim Reaper-like uh, yes. in his attire. But then he has his hands and feet and whatnot look really strange. They almost look like uh, vegetation or something, almost. Yeah, it's, he's almost got, like, vegetative or feathered hands and yeah. feet, which is interesting. But that's all we see of him. We don't see his face. We just see his feet and his hands. Uh, and this big, this, point. this big square necklace hanging around his neck. Yes. He's all wrapped up in these enormous black robes. And, of yeah. course, the doctor has to find out what's going on. Because <laughs> Brett has recognized the starship of Mavic Chen. Because, being from the security, he has flown it before, or at least seen it before. So he knows exactly whose starship that is, and he knows what that means. He knows Mavic Chen has betrayed the solar system, and they must warn Earth, you know. Yeah, he's flown one just like it, we know for sure. Yes. And so the Doctor has to find out what exactly is going on, so that they know what to warn Earth about. And so he dons Zephon's cloak and sends the rest of them off to go capture Mavic Chen's starship. And he will meet them there as soon as he can. Uh, But if there's a commotion, you should leave. Uh, (laughs) He finally arrives at the meeting, and the doctor discovers that the reason why Mavic Chen has been courted and brought into this group is because... The extremely rare element, terranium, is only found within the solar system. And it is an 
an essential part uh, that they need in order to operate their new weapon that will help them overtake the solar system, that weapon being the Time Destructor. Yeah. Uh, Mavic Chen is very happy to provide this because it gives him a very high place on the totem pole, so to speak, because it is essential and is very, very needed. Without this piece, the Dalek plan is completely useless. The Dalek's master them, plan uh, is completely useless. Took him 10 years to be able to get this stuff, right? 50. 50 years Fif- to... 50 years? To, hard, gotcha. uh, to, to mine enough gotcha. terranium that, uh, for them to need for this thing. So, and this thing was about the size of a Coke can. Yeah. Or, or a rather large uh, coffee mug. Mm-hmm. So it took them 50 years to get that much. And it's in this protective little uh, cylinder. Uh, of course, the doctor is looking for a way out of this. Zephon has meanwhile regained consciousness, and since they left him on the la- uh, the landing pad, he runs in, you know, with his hands still tied behind his back, to the the meeting area shouting a warning and all this stuff and everybody gets thrown into chaos and they're running around and chaos Mavic- on doctor yeah. who <gasps> never never <laughs> and of course mavic chen's starship is powering up and the daleks are screaming and yelling and mavic chen is looking worried and in the hubbub and confusion the doctor manages to grab the terranium and rush out and barely manages to jump on the ship before Brett takes off. Hey, he stole the TARDIS. Why not steal something else, right? You know. <laughs> <laughs> so. So the Daleks insist that they do not destroy Chen's starship because they need the Terranium and they don't have another 50 years to wait for them to mine enough again. So, Which implies they, a couple of different things. First of all, they have not uh, conquered time travel yet. Hmm. Yeah. In- interesting. And they, they've they been strategizing for this moment. And of course, if they have to wait another 50 years, that just gives other people time to yeah. find out what they're doing and totally ruin their master plan. And maybe do it in their place. Right. Right. Uh, So instead, they deploy a randomizer to sort of send the Doctor's stolen ship off course so that they can send a pursuit team after them and try and capture them on their next stops. Uh, Zephon is very irate at the whole situation. He's trying to throw blame on the Daleks and on Chen and on this and on that, and he's just... Very angry. And, of course, that doesn't work for him. And he ends up in a screaming mess on the floor after a Dalek shoots him. Because he wasn't as useful as they thought he was going to be. Right, and his his blundering is what caused the the Tyranium... Tyranium to be stolen. Let's be honest, he got on the Daleks' nerves. That too. 
he got on my nerves too, and so I was almost <laughs> cheering when the doc the Daleks shot him. So, um, <laughs> the the ship is supposed to be heading for Earth, but due to the randomizer, they end up landing landing on the prison planet Desperus. They got first. got caught in the the gravity field, right? Yes, and that's apparently due to the randomizer. Okay. This was something I didn't quite realize at the initial point. But, of course, since it's a prison planet, any ship that comes close, the prisoners are going to be like, oh, Yes! And see, this, and- this, is another, this is another area where somebody else copied Doctor Who. Because oh. Doctor Who did it first, and then you see the same scenario come up in Aliens 3 hmm. uh, with the prison planet uh, and where she accidentally crashes on the prison planet. Ah. You know? um, and then, of course, uh, with the events of that movie, she can't exactly leave until everything is safe, right? Right. Uh, so that was a little bit of a different spin, but this this was another incident where... Uh, Doctor Who did it first. They had the prison planet first. That is that is true. So, so the the starship crashes a very mild crash landing on this prison planet, and so the Doctor and Stephen and Brett and oh my goodness, Katarina, thank you, brain, for finally catching up. Uh, <laughs> you know, are trying to repair the ship and try and get off as fast as possible because they know that there are convicts out there that want the ship. And they try, and there are three of them that we see that are attempting to hijack the ship. Well, this was a small little cluster. They made a point to acknowledge that there were way more of them out there and that they were trying to get to the ship before anybody else could. Exactly. Exactly. While Brett and Steven are repairing the ship, the Doctor and Katarina assemble some sort of a defense uh, by placing a live wire in the swamp so that they can turn it on whenever the convicts get too close, um, (laughs) which gives them a rather shocking experience. Uh, (laughs) But, of course... The, the ship is, is starting to get repaired. The Daleks are getting ready to land. And so they're all rushing about trying to get off planet. And they rush back into the ship. And they're getting ready to take off. The airlock hasn't been sealed properly. So Katarina goes back over to seal the airlock correctly. And one of the prisoners has managed to get himself into the airlock. And he holds her hostage. By this time, they're already in space. Yeah, so he's sort of trapped in the airlock with Katarina at knife point. And he's yeah. wanting uh, to take him... They want He wants them to take him to the nearest planet, which is Kemble. And the Doctor yeah. and Brett do not want to go back to Kemble. Um, I wonder why. <laughs> no, I, I just can't figure that out. They try to warn this guy. He won't listen to him. You know, right? He, he, he doesn't that, care. 
he thinks that they're just trying to to hurt him in some way. Uh, what he doesn't realize is that technically, had he not done what he had done, he could have possibly ended up being helped by them. Right. Exactly. Of course, you know, the Daleks are still on their trail, and so they don't want to go back to Kemble. This is where it turned interesting. Yeah. Because the convict still has a hold on Katarina. Through a series of events, the two of them get locked in the airlock. And Brett is, you know, sort of talks about maybe opening the airlock and releasing them into space, get rid of the convicts so they can go on their way, and the doctor won't have it because he's not going to risk Katarina's life like that. And a big argument ensues, and the convict is getting angry because he thinks that they're trying to trick him, and everybody's yelling and screaming, and in the midst of it all, Katarina opens the airlock and spaces herself and the and the convict. Yeah, that was really dark. Really dark. Yeah. A bit shocking. Mm. So, and we get a couple of interesting shots or at least we did get some interesting shots of her floating through space. Yeah, which reminded me a lot of uh, the shots uh, that we referred to last week on uh, the Rose episode when she spaced that villain. Yeah. Kind of creepy. Yeah. And of course, the do- the doctor is very upset about this. Stephen thinks she might have done it accidentally, but the doctor uh, doesn't believe so. He feels like she knew exactly what she was doing. Which is my Im- impression of that as well. Uh, he, he says that he will always think of her as a daughter of the gods. Yes. So, we are introduced and lose a companion in this series of episodes. What did you think of Katarina? I think she had a lot of potential. Um, I honestly was kind of sad to see that happen this early to a companion because Mm -hmm. I'm the type of person who likes to see character arcs uh, in my stories and stuff. Um, uh, That is one of the things that I have always loved about Doctor Who is the fact that you get these really great character arcs. You get these really nice, you know, beginning, middle, and end sections to these characters. Um, you, you see how they make these transitions over time. And and a lot of times you see that they react the same way that we would react in real life to certain things, you know. And to me, that makes it more enjoyable. It makes it more um, kind of relatable for me. Uh, but I, we didn't get to see that with her, and for me, that was somewhat of a loss, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to go back and try and find some reconstructions of the Myth Makers, just to get an idea of who she was going into this. Because it was really interesting, because they played around, and we get a little bit of this, not nearly as much to this extent, but we get we sort of play around with the idea of how smart is it really to take someone from a, an ancient civilization 
and bring them on this adventure uh, in the TARDIS. And we get a little bit of that with Jamie uh, and um, and I think it's Vicky or Victoria mm-hmm. uh, with the second Doctor because they're from the 1700s and the 1800s. But this is, you know, ancient Greece, ancient Troy, and she has no way to comprehend what's going on in the TARDIS. She's obviously interpreting it through a very, you know, mystical, very, you know, religious sort of experience because uh, of, of the way that she views the gods. And so it's really interesting to sort of play around with that idea. And uh, she doesn't even know what, what tablets are when Brett wants to give Stephen these these medical tablets to make him better. She has no idea what tablets are and has to have this all explained to her. And so it was really interesting to see that dynamic on the TARDIS. And so it was a bit shocking to just sort of see it end so abruptly all of a sudden because... There was room for growth. There was room to see, well, maybe she right. maybe she does begin to understand. and Maybe she figures this out. Or maybe she decides down the road that it's too much. And she doesn't want to be here. And it's, you know, not... Or it's not right according to her religious convictions or something like that. You know, who, who knows where it could have gone. But it could have gone some very interesting ways. Or like was, Tegan, it's not fun anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Although she, I don't think she traveled for fun. She traveled to achieve, uh, what was it, perfection or something right. like that to, to uh, eventually end up at perfection through the underworld. Uh, but, but yeah, so that was really interesting, uh, that whole situation with, uh, with Katarina. But we still have uh, a few episodes yet to finish talking about. The next destination is Earth. Mavic Chen is already on his way to Earth and will beat them to Earth due to their detour on the prison planet. And so Brett and the Doctor and Steven decide to land in an experimental station that is away from uh, the public where Brett can contact some of his agents and uh, find someone who can help them. Chen informs his chief of security, Lizan, uh, that Brett and those who he's traveling with are traitors. And, he, and Lizan sends Sarah Kingdom, who is one of his top security officers, after them. Right. Um, in the meantime, uh, they are waiting for Daxter to arrive. Yes. Daxter being uh, one of Brett's contacts. Daxter arrives and they have a, a, a discussion with him in which Daxter mentions the stolen Terranium. Yep. But they hadn't mentioned that. And the doctor picked up on it immediately. Yes. And so Daxter has been identified as a traitor, and Brett is forced to shoot him. 
Of course, that sounds off some alarms and stuff, so they are running through this experimental station trying to escape or hide or something. And Brett stays back to, you know, help ensure the Doctor and Steven escape and comes face-to-face with Sarah Kingdom. Yes. And she ends up shooting him. Dead. And so this is a good thing that yeah. he's not the brigadier. Um, <laughs> now, did he even draw on her? I don't think he even drew on her, did he? I think I... she just shot him to be shooting him. Um, if I'm he not may mistaken. Have, he may have gone for his gun. I don't remember. I forget. Um, the interesting thing was is that this was one of the completed episodes. This one still had, I, I do believe, right. this one had all of the, the shots in it, the actual episode was complete so that was kind of cool or maybe it was the next one I forget I think it was the next one yeah I know for a fact the next one was complete yeah yeah which is it replays that that's what happened yeah it replays that that bit but the doctor and Steven have run into a room where uh, an experiment is taking place and there's these mice in this glass capsule that's on this tripod thing and they're taking a look the doctor's completely distracted you know they're you know they've been running for their life basically and he sees this experiment and he goes oh goody and basically (laughs) and the doctor has to find out what's going on because this is this is most interesting you know um he finds it fascinating i have to admit Uh, uh when they went into this room with these white mice in this uh chamber uh, I couldn't help it. it. It made me think of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy uh, <laughs> because uh, Douglas Adams, who wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, also wrote for Doctor Who at one point. Oh. Um, and also, uh, one of the things that they talked about in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that I thought was kind of funny, uh, that w- the reason why it made me think of these white mice, is, uh, or when I saw these white mice, is because in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy... The entire Earth was one big experiment. It was one big computer. And the mice who we thought we were doing experiments on were actually the ones that were doing experiments on us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, That's funny. But they, you know, they were the more intelligent life form. They were the ones doing experiments on us to see how we reacted when they did certain things and whatnot. And the whole time they were supposed to be doing experiments on us, and we thought we were experimenting on them the whole time. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. That's funny. (laughs) Well, of course, the doctor has completely engrossed himself in this experiment, and Sarah Kingdom rushes in, gun drawn, ready to arrest them and take them captive or kill them if necessary. And, of course, the scientists in the other room... Uh, launch the experiment. Which is <laughs> they have no idea they're ex- in there. <laughs> they have no idea what's going on inside. Uh, this is an experiment in molecular dissemination, which means it's an early transmat. Yes. Uh, and they transmit the matter of the mice and the capsule and the three people inside the room from that room to a distant planet. Which they have no idea what's on it. <laughs> no, it's like there's nothing. We have our scans haven't picked up anything, any life signs on this planet. <laughs> they haven't seen anything, uh, <laughs> so we we figure it's okay. <clears throat> yeah, 
Of course, this uh, capsule and everything, this capsule that has these mice in it stuff, uh, it actually has cameras and sensors and all of this kind of stuff built into it so that they can find out more about this planet. Right. <clears throat> right. And it will start transmitting when it fully reintegrates. Right. You know, back, back on this planet. And, of course, uh, Chen and his security staff are very irate and upset about the fact that they've escaped and the tyranny uh, the tyranium is there with them chen uses this to his advantage and he says well i meant to do this get the tyranium off the planet off earth and away from the earth public so that you the daleks could get it more easily because mira the planet that they've been transmitted to is closer to kemble than earth is right and so he spins this in a way that's favorable to him. And the Daleks, if, if they only had facial expressions, I could just see, you know, squinting or rolling their eyes at this and going, <laughs> fine, we'll go along with this. Or giving um, him the finger. <laughs> right. Um, of course, they have to have hands to do that, right? Yes, that too. Uh, it's hard to give somebody the finger when you all you have is a plunger. Um, <laughs> or a tentacle. Right. Um, <laughs> so, Stephen, Sarah, and the Doctor regain consciousness after, be re after being reintegrated on Mira, on the planet Mira. Stephen has disarmed Sarah, and they're uh, trying to convince her that Chen is the bad guy. And she's very loyal to her job, she's very good at her job, and she doesn't want to believe that the Guardian of the Solar System has betrayed them. Well, fi we uh, find out also that there's a secondary reason why she doesn't want to believe what they're saying. Right. Because Brett was her brother. Yeah. And that meant that she would have been... that she would have killed her brother for no reason. Right. Which is what happened. And so she's finally getting to see reason. Which is dark theme number two for this story. Yeah. Siblings who kill each other. Well... You know, actually, it's probably dark theme number three, but, you know, who's counting, right? Right. <laughs> you know, things just get dark with the Daleks involved. Um, of course, the Daleks' salvage team has landed on Mira to seek out the Doctor and recover the Terranium. Of course, you know, things are complicated when the natives to Mira, who are invisible eight-foot-tall monstrous creatures uh, interject themselves into the situation. Yeah, and you don't get the impression that they're invisible because they're displaced in time or something either because they're still completely material. They're, there's nothing uh, about them that would make them untouchable. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just you can't see them with a the regular human eye. Right, or Dalek eye for that matter. Chen is going to return to Kemble uh, as soon as the Terranium is uh, is recovered. Meanwhile, his security aide, he has ordered his security aide to take a fleet to Venus and start assembling so that they can destroy Kemble and usurp the Daleks. Uh, when the time is right. 
So Chen is already got his political ambitions are growing a bit too big for his britches. He wants to rule the galaxy, and he'll be satisfied with just one galaxy at first, uh, but that will expand later. Uh, he just has to take out the Daleks first. So, <laughs> Which, of course, is the easiest thing anybody could do, right? Of course, right. <laughs> you know, and it's not like the Daleks aren't watching Chen anyways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, of course, uh, the Daleks have found the Doctor, Stephen, and Sarah, and are are getting ready to, to capture them and take them back to Kemble. And this episode ends with the, the Doctor saying... Well, it appears that the Daleks have won, yeah. and then it, it cuts to credits. So, which is, which is interesting. Pretty, pretty. I mean, it's it's not the greatest cliffhanger in the world, but it's it's a cliffhanger. You know, it is a cliffhanger. It's like, oh, what? <laughs> you know, that's not good. Did you have anything you wanted to say about Chen's ambitions coming through? <laughs> Ming the Merciless. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in his early years. Yes, know. in his early years. <laughs> uh, we are down to our final episode that we're reviewing for this uh, this particular review. The The Doctor and Stephen and Sarah are saved when the natives of Mira uh, interrupt the Daleks. And the Daleks get distracted trying to exterminate the invisible creatures and the doctor and his companions take off and decide to steal the Dalek ship because that's the only one on the planet. That's the only way they're going to be able to get off, so they're going to steal the ship. Right. It's only being guarded by one Dalek and he, of course, distracts the Dalek by pretending to surrender and over and, and uh, hand over the terranium. And then Stephen comes up behind him with a big clod of mud and <laughs> sticks it right in the eye stalk. <laughs> yes. This is, of course, before the Daleks were able to burn things off of their eye stalks. Um, you know, if only, if only Wilfred had shot the Dalek in the eye at this point in time rather than much later. Anyways. <laughs> Which is kind of it, it's kind of weird if you think about it because you know, this takes place past the year 4000 whereas the Wilfred episode takes place in like 2013 or something. No, I'm even earlier than that, like 2000 and what 11, something like that. Yeah, and, but the Daleks uh, don't care and, about uh, timelines. <laughs> so, you know, the technology you would think would have been more advanced, but of course, because the Daleks have become time travelers, uh, it, it it makes everything wibbly wobbly and backwards. You know, yes. uh, kind of like River Song, where her entire story is told backwards. Yes. So, um, but of course, the Doctor and Stephen and Sarah do end up stealing the ship. Which of course uh, does not please the Daleks. Uh, Chen has arrived back on Kemble, which the Daleks are not very pleased with because he has doesn't have the terranium. Uh, 
course, he plays political games and dances his way out of that situation. There's another <laughs> dark moment in this at this point, uh, because uh, if you'll remember, the Daleks that were on the planet trying to capture the Doctor, uh, they're still there. And the Daleks that are in charge tell them to send a party to that planet to exterminate their own people for their blunder. Yes. <laughs> yes. The, <laughs> the Daleks are not happy. Right. <laughs> I mean, I don't think they're ever happy, but they're really not happy right now. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Doctor, on their way back to Kemble, uh, is creating a replica of the Terranium that to the naked eye will fool anybody. And it does. Uh, he, he does very good. He's got, he's a very good craftsman. And, uh, <laughs> the only difference of course, is one has the actual Terranium and the other it won't do anything for the, the time disruptor. I think that's what the weapon is called. Right. Uh, the problem that he has at this point is he needs to power the duplicate to make it appear like the real thing uh, because it doesn't glow or anything like the uh, like the real thing does exactly Steven of course has an idea which Sarah doesn't think is going to work Steven decides he's going to create some sort of I forget exactly what it I think he's using gravity technology yes uh, he was using the gravity projector I think was what it was called um he was going to use that to power uh, the substance uh, so that uh, it would appear to look the same as the real thing. But they told him the reason why they didn't want to use the technique was because uh, it was too outdated. Yes. Uh, because, of course, this is this is in Stephen's future as well. Right. He, he doesn't listen to them and goes ahead and does it anyways... Uh, the experiment appears to work, but leaves him unconscious. Right. And in an apparent vegetative state when he does wake up. And that's in quotations. Um, <laughs> uh, the doctor discovers that that is because the way that the, the gravity generator, gravity projector uh, reacted with the, the fake substance, it has uh, encased Stephen basically in a force field uh, that is causing, that is slowing down his cognitive abilities. Uh, he, he's almost in a stasis at this point. Right. Right. And so the doctor decides that he needs to use this to his advantage and the Doctor, as they land on Kemble, of course, are met by the Daleks because, you know, that's where they, they're headquartered here. The Doctor decides to surrender the <laughs> Terranium. <laughs> the Terranium. Um, on the condition that the Daleks let them return to the TARDIS. You get the point uh, at this... Or do you get the feeling at this point, I should say, that He's using Stephen as a human shield. Yes. Yes. <laughs> because he's encased in a force field, and he's given Stephen 
the fake Terranium, right. the real one, is of course still in his pocket. Um, <laughs> and so the the Doctor manages to sh- you know sh- shout down the Daleks into accepting his terms. The Doctor and Sarah quickly jump aboard the TARDIS. And, of course, Stephen, in this vegetative state, has to be told what to do. He can't just do things. He has to be directed. And so, through the communication, the, the basically the PA system of the TARDIS, the Doctor tells Stephen to hand over the Terranium and then quickly return to the TARDIS. The Daleks attempt to shoot Stephen, but their weapons do nothing, and he's able to slip into the TARDIS. Right. Uh that is, of course, because the force field. Of course, the shot from the Daleks breaks the force field and basically wakes Stephen back up completely, and he's able to function normally. Which just goes and, to show exactly how powerful the Daleks' weapons are. Yes. Yes. Uh, and so everybody seems to be happy with the way things end at this point, because the Doctor, Stephen, and Sarah get away and the Daleks and Chen are very happy because they have the Terranium back. <laughs> so, yeah, I almost expected him a couple of times to twist his mustache, you know? To, yes. To, to <laughs> <laughs> mustache twirling villain. Um, not not course, that he's cheesy or anything. He's just right at that level where he's almost over the top, you know? Yeah, almost. He's not quite, but almost. Uh, the TARDIS, of course, is mat- has mat- materialized on another planet uh, so that they can give themselves some breathing room and figure out what to do next. And they're getting ready to go outside. And the Doctor is very adamant. No, 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 no. Don't, 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 don't go. Don't go. Because <gasps> look at the gauge. It says the atmosphere is poisonous. And that's where the episode ends. Da-da-da-da. Poisonous atmosphere yeah. outside the TARDIS. And we're going to use that as a cliffhanger. Bum, bum, bum! Okay. Um. <laughs> and that's where we leave things. The Doctor, Stephen, and Sarah trying to figure out what to do next. The Daleks and Chen believing that they have the key to their victory but not really. And we still have six episodes to go. Yeah. Who knows what else is going to happen here? <laughs> there, there is only one storyline in all of Doctor Who that is longer than this one, and that is The Trial of the Time Lord. Ah, yes. Uh, and yes. that one is actually up for debate because some people think that that is four smaller storylines uh, fused together into one. Um, but, uh, you know, it could go either way. If you want to look at it that way, it's all under the same title of Trial of the Time Lord, so I'm willing to yes. say that it's the longest. We'll, we'll go with that. That's, that is, of course, a Sixth Doctor storyline. And it's actually, in my opinion, not that bad. Uh, I know it's a bit maligned in Who fandom um, by some Whovians, but I've seen it. I actually own it. And I, I kind of like it, actually. So, But we'll have to talk about that at a later point. Yes. 
The Master does show up in a couple of those, so we may just have to watch the entire trial of a Time Lord. <laughs> um, he actually is kind of important. He, he's not really seen until closer to the end, for the most part, but he is kind of important in the story. But we're, we're not talking about the Master right now. Yeah. We're talking about the Daleks. So, <laughs> getting back to the first part of, of this story, how are you feeling at this point, where, where we're at? I, I won't ask you the sort of wrap-up, you know, would you recommend it, How what's your favorite part, it, because you know, we, we haven't finished it, it yet. It almost so. feels like that this first part that we talked about could be uh, one story in itself. You know, if if they just defeated the Dalek by swapping this thing out and escaping, this would be a way for you to end that story. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because the Dalek don't necessarily have to know where they go when they leave. They might not have the ability to track them at this point. And I really and truly don't think they would because the way that the story is told, it very much is clear to me that on the Dalek's timeline, this takes place before uh, the Dalek invasion of Earth. Hmm. Um, Because the Daleks very clearly don't have time travel capabilities uh, I don't think. No, no, no. Not, I'm sorry. Not the Dalek invasion of Earth. Uh, the the chase. Oh, the chase. The chase. Okay, I'm that sorry. makes more sense. Yeah, I meant to say that. I meant to say the chase. Um, okay. it, this takes place before the chase uh, on the Daleks timeline, and it's very clear to me that that's the case. The, uh, the, for a couple of reasons. First of all, this is the very first time that the first Doctor is ever named in front of the Daleks. This is the first time that the TARDIS is ever named in front of the Daleks. And so I honestly believe that the events that happen on the chase take place after this on the Daleks timeline. Aha. Of course, you know, it's flipped for the doctor. Right. Uh, as we're, as we're learning, but as far as the story is going itself, well, what are you feeling about it right now? How how are you enjoying it? Is it holding your attention? It's, uh, it's holding my attention, but I'll be honest with you, it's so twisty, turny, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey <laughs> at this point. Um, it was difficult for me to follow a little bit because I had to go back and watch it twice. The first time I watched it. Um, I had some distractions going on. My, my kids and stuff uh, were in the room and I actually had to go back and watch it alone just <laughs> to make sure that I didn't miss anything because there was so much going on in the story that if you didn't pay attention for even five minutes, you might get lost as to what's going on. It was right. very, very packed full of stuff. Yeah, it's... Not necessarily complex, just convoluted. And there's a whole bunch of subplots going on. Of course, there's the main plot of the Daleks and these other allies trying to take over the solar system. And the Doctor has to figure out how to stop that. But, of course, the whole political subplot with Chen versus the Daleks versus uh, Zephon and some of the others um, that we didn't really touch on. There was a very clear-cut political aspect to this. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it probably probably had more politics in it than any other Doctor Who story I've seen so far. Yeah, I, I would agree with that um, so far. But yeah, I, I'm enjoying it. It's interesting. 
it's keeping my attention. I don't know if it needs to be this long. Um, I think there would have been ways to cut it down a bit. Right. Um, but of course, I would, you know, I will reserve final judgment on that until I've seen the rest of the episode. Right. Um, because I haven't. I've stopped here. Uh, so, but yeah, no, it, I'm liking it, but not so far, not as much as some of the other ones we've seen. I'm not liking it as much as the chase at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, the chase was really good in my opinion, uh, flaws and all, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm, I am really liking this one. Um, probably more so than, uh, the first Dalek storyline, Maybe even equal to, or maybe even a little bit more than the Dalek invasion of Earth, uh, but of course it's up to different people's taste as well. Right. Uh, but the the thing that that is, like I said, messing with me is the fact that it's so packed full of stuff that mm -hmm. I'm just I'm I'm always on the edge of missing something uh, and, right. and not knowing what's going on. Right. Okay, so is there anything else that you want to say about these episodes before we begin the wrap-up here? Uh, not at this point. I think I'll save comment until the end. I, I'm going to agree with you, because there's still a lot of story left to go, and I don't want to say something and then have to you know, eat crow. Um <laughs> um, and of course, we are going to be reviewing the rest of the episodes for the Daleks Master Plan in our next episode. However, you'll have to wait an extra week because we're taking next week off because I will be out of town. So uh, just FYI for those of you who are listening to us right now and not sometime in the future after this episode has already been up for like five months. So, because you guys won't <laughs> care. Right, because we will have already caught back <laughs> up again. So... Um, I actually leave in two days, and I'm hoping to have this episode... I should have this episode edited and, like, scheduled to be posted on the correct time uh, before I leave. But I w we will not be recording next week. So we'll have an extra week off. Give us a chance to catch up on some of the YouTube videos and the uh, video links to our, our classic episode page, page that we've been using to refer you to the... Where you can find these episodes, actually. Where you can find the Dalek Master Plan uh, if you want to watch those uh, before or after listening to our reviews. And so. we do have some recreations available on there right now. Uh, I just found some new ones yesterday, uh, which were even better than the ones that I had on there before. So take a look at those and uh, see what you think. Yeah. So uh, be sure to follow us on our various social medias like us on facebook facebook.com slash talking time lords our twitter handle is at talking time lord you can find us on youtube just by searching talking time lords and you can email us at talking time lords at gmail.com but our home on the internet is talking time lords.com so um <laughs> don't forget to rate us on itunes Yes, please. Uh, we, we've only got a couple of reviews, and they may or may not be us. Um. <laughs> <laughs> because we would never do anything like that, right? <laughs> no, no. Blatant self-promotion is something that never crosses a podcaster's mind. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> 
But yes, if you yeah, are we, listening, we also to us would through... never join communities on Facebook just so that we could promote our podcast either. No, oh, no, not at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if you do listen to us through iTunes, we really would appreciate it if you left us a, ra- a rating, a review, or just email us. Tell us how you think we're doing. If you have any suggestions, uh, feedback is appreciated. We are still a new show, so we're growing and figuring this whole thing out. I think we're finally figuring out a rhythm to these sort of things. Um, I'm having fun. But yeah, that's the most important thing. We're having a blast. So, <laughs> uh, Anything else? Well, not really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that wraps up this episode of Talking Time Lords. This has been episode nine, the Dalek Master Plan Story Review Part 1. Uh, for Paul, I'm Jason, and until next time... May you hope far-flung hopes and dream impossible dreams. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit Thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts. Or visit Patreon.com slash Thunderquack to help support the shows. <laughs>